I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. Hello, hello. You are listening to Target Snarket, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. I am your sole host and interviewer today, Danielle. I am the principal consultant and chief broad at Broad Digital. Here with me today is a dear friend of mine and one of the finest marketers I've ever known, uh, KT Heinz Nagamoto. KT, say hello. Hi. <laughs> so KT and I actually used to work together uh, many moons ago. They consulted for Broad Digital in the past. They are a five-star branding content marketer, uh, and they have a wealth of experience in uh, social and influencer strategy, working for some big household names in tech and cybersecurity. You've worked in a lot of different spaces. Yes, I have. I have worked B2B, B2C, B2B2C. <laughs> I've worked everywhere. And I'm just wondering, like, out of how many stars is the five-star review? <laughs> is it typically five? five? Yeah. Oh, no, okay. Five. This is like, good, good, it's good, not good. like a Michelin guide. And it's also not like, we're not going for like 10 stars. That feels like too it's many a little stars. aggressive. Yeah, it's a little, like, how do you grade that? <laughs> You know, <laughs> so uh, when KT and I were talking about them coming from the pod, I was most interested in like, what are they passionate about? What do they want to soapbox about? Because I mean, that's what yes. this whole pod is really all about is like shouting on our soapbox, you know, like old man yells at cloud kind of a thing. And and we're trying to do marketing better. Right. Right. Uh, so if they brought this topic to me. I'm super thrilled to talk about it. Today, we're going to be discussing wellness and uh, digital healthcare marketing, what it looks like, who it's targeting, and honestly, some of the more potentially concerning approaches to marketing these services, especially considering they offer something every human needs. Health. Right. Yes. Access to yeah. healthcare in some form or fashion. Yes. Uh, so kind of getting into it, I, I'd like what I'd like to do sort of before we get into the, the more concerning part, I want to talk about the history <laughs> of, of wellness approaches, wellness marketing. You know, this is a conversation that you and I have had many times before as non-men, especially being aware yes. of the unconscious and sometimes conscious bias, frankly, mm -hmm. of healthcare providers and people inside of the healthcare space. We know that people who aren't white, people who aren't men or cisgender men anyway, they're treated differently. We are treated differently, especially people who have yes. chronic illnesses, yes. things that aren't easily or tidally healed. Yeah, absolutely. I think Western medicine is, is very great. I previously worked in the uh, wellness space and we said Western medicine is fantastic at treating acute pain. If you have a broken arm, should probably go to the doctor, right? But for things that are a little bit more complex or harder to explain or even ongoing, uh, like having a child or dealing with migraines or um, consistent body aches, back pain, it can be trickier. And the inaccess increases as you have things that are more long-term, right? Sure. Particularly for people who are, are not cis and who are not white. Sure. So sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that too, you know, it's always shocking to me how little research is done mm -hmm. on 
communities that are not white, or at least <laughs> consensual research, let's call it that, on communities that are not white and communities that are not uh, male and, and man-identifying. Yes. Uh, that there is so little research, um, for instance, on, you know, we don't seem to mind that AFAB folks uh, assigned female at birth for, for those of you uh, playing along at home and maybe aren't mm-hmm. familiar with the term. For people who are assigned female at birth, we never yes. question the side effects of birth control pills, yes. for instance, or birth yes. control medication at all. This is just a foregone conclusion yes. that people who are assigned female at birth just carry these these sorts of side effects, these consequences. And so when we talk about even, I see uh, things in the news that, that the scare around like bone density issues mm. with uh, young trans individuals who uh, stop um, puberty that, oh, they'll they'll end up with bone density issues if they take puberty blockers. And I was reading that the other day and I was like, nobody's ever given a shit about my bone density issues as mm-hmm. somebody who's taken birth control, who was told, who yes. was flat out told, yes, this will likely cause, you should continue to get screened for osteoporosis. Right. right. But it matters if the person taking it is not cis. If suddenly a person who is not cis has access Sure. We need to be careful about making sure we don't give it to them too young, right? Right. To something that you would view as very, very essential, that they would consider essential to their development. And that is essential to their development, right? Yeah. Birth control is considered essential. And yeah. So and and the fact that we just have have not really invested research or I don't know given a shit about oh, it's a highly unresearched <laughs> right yes, right yeah. inside of a lot of these spaces that we know more for instance mm-hmm. about ed or male pattern baldness than we do about really common conditions yes. that affect uh people who are not cis men and the access to these types of drugs too that treat ed and male pattern baldness is much higher as sure. well than something like birth control, right? Because there's so much research and uh, pharmaceutical companies are deeply invested in uh, the male consumer. It's very interesting. And the way things are gate kept at the doctor's office or that experience looks different depending on who you are is, is primarily one of the reasons why wellness companies became so prevalent in the first place. Sure. And this is something that I know that we've talked about in detail as well, that there is sort of this push-pull within mm. Western medicine and uh, medical professionals who, like I know as somebody who has chronic illness, that I have gone into a doctor's office and said, tell me about X, Y, or Z that I read about on the internet. And mm. I'm immediately dismissed because I went to Dr. Google and I'm not trusting them as a doctor. Right. And yet in the pandemic that kind of bit everybody in the ass because we have built this idea that doctors aren't wrong, that that Dr. Google is incorrect. Why don't you trust the professionals? And then the professionals had not very many more answers than we, the general public did, Mm. which I think, you know, uh, contributed to this sort of erosion in trust that Mm. honestly wasn't Trust levels were not that high in the first right, place right. inside of this. But I, I think some of that is because people don't feel heard. No, they do not. And I think I, I think I would go back to what you just said, where it's like you walked in and, and you would Google things and you asked questions, right? And what I always think about is, did they not listen to me because I 
Googled something or did they not listen to me because I'm not cis or did they not listen to me because I'm not, you know, I don't present as a man. So it's just very interesting in that regard, right? You have to consider, is my identity something they're ignoring or is it my question? Yeah. And and we see that so often too, with any kind of marginalized community that there is just this constant guessing around mm-hmm. like why you're not being heard, why yeah. you're being dismissed. Yeah. Is it that I'm too complicated a case? You know, I've, I've had several doctors yes. dismiss me and, and I wonder, you know, yes, is it the Google thing or is it that like, I am a nightmare case for doctors because no one can figure out what's wrong, right? right? right. So it ends up being this like not well heard of, not well understood thing. And so, you know, you don't feel heard. And I know like in my personal experience, I've seen people shit all over wellness companies and whatnot things that are not, you know, approved by the FDA, things that are not science backed. Right. right. And I push back on, uh, on people who shit on people who buy the snake oil right from the wellness companies, because a lot of times, like I'm in this population, I'm not being listened to by my doctors. Yes. And I don't know this like prebiotic probiotic blend on Instagram, like, especially in regards to gut health as well. We've talked about this a lot. You know, gut health is something that is incredibly troubling for a lot of people, IBS and, uh, you know, SIBO. It's it's prevalent amongst our community and, and wellness companies typically market things towards that because it's incredibly difficult to get in front of a gut health doctor and also to get the appropriate tests for your gut health, to get the medications, to even get to the point of taking a test without a doctor just saying, oh, well, take some Pepto or have you tried a laxative? And so when you're left on your own, you're kind of left to do guesswork, right? right? And that's kind of what wellness companies bank on is that their consumer is just trying to do guesswork. Sure, right? sure. And and finding something that works. And especially, you know, you talk about access too. Like <laughs> I have scheduled appointments with GI doctors. By the way, all of you uh, fellow IBS sufferers out there, you're sexy, we're sexy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, I've scheduled appointments with GI doctors where I find out like, yeah. oh, they only specialize in this part of GI or not this part yeah. of GI. Or like, I don't know about you. And again, you know, not the sexiest conversation we've ever had, maybe. But I don't know how many fucking stool samples you've had to provide that you go home and do all on your own. But it's enough to make you not want to keep going. And gastroenterology is also like barely ever covered by your healthcare, right? Certain types of stool tests are covered. Like, if you're going to pick it up and drop it off yourself, it's covered. If you want it to be sent to your home, because it's a horribly invasive thing and you don't want to think about it, it's not covered. You're paying the thousands of dollars, right? And it's all these tricky rules. And as a non-binary person who's trying to get pregnant, I've learned so much about healthcare and also like the fact that these policies are written for you to fuck up. Like they want you to add something on. They want you to select a different type of service than what's covered because one small change in how you do something costs you thousands. And yeah, and avoids them having exactly. avoids insurance companies. Exactly. Having to pay. So it, like chronic illness is, is incredibly difficult to treat. It's incredibly inaccessible, especially if you're not cis and white. 
And it's also incredibly uh, expensive if you can access these things. Sure, um, sure. Rather, it keeps it inaccessible because it's so expensive. But you know, if you if you can get the test and you and you really really want it, you're just so desperate you'll pay for it, right? Oh, one hundred percent. It's just it's it's not exactly a fantastic system, and you know you have to get through all the disbelief to get to treatment for your chronic illness as well. And even if you do have a doctor mm-hmm. who believes you, you know, I, I've personally experienced a, you know, a neurologist who a hundred percent believes me yes. and wants to get to the bottom of it yes. and says, I'm really sorry, but in order, I think that you have X and in order for us to give you the right test for it, I have to give you tests one, two, three, and four, even though I'm, I'm almost positive yes. you won't come up with anything, mm-hmm. But the insurance will not pay for test five unless we run through all of these yeah, other ones, absolutely. which also come with out-of-pocket costs, right? right? So when you're sitting there and something is completely inaccessible or like I'm, I have mast cell activation, it is incredibly difficult to diagnose because you have to run a test while you're having an attack. And that attack, I mean, that could come on just sitting here talking to you, it can manifest in, I don't know, my skin getting itchy. I can't run to a doctor right now and take a test. So yeah, I mean, when you are not the ideal patient, maybe is is how we put it. You know, we've talked about, you know, the the sort of heteronormative cisgender, uh, you know, male and male presenting, but also people who are ideal patients don't have complicated medical issues no they have things that are are easily diagnosable easily treatable and when you fall outside of this ideal patient parameter then you of course i i see a natural inclination to be open to snake oil salesmen good or bad because you're looking for answers totally absolutely and it's not to say that all in this company's are selling pure snake oil. But the fact that these wellness companies have emerged to fill these gaps is kind of this indication that they realize there is discrimination happening within these offices, that consumerism can fill that gap, you know, Um, and that there can be a solution, an alternative, but you will have to pay for it. So when one is very expensive, why not try an alternative that might be expensive, but certainly not as expensive as uh, gate kept as the actual healthcare system. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're in a goop juice cleanse, probiotic sludge drink morning shot is like $59.99 a month, that's $60 that I can buy right here on my phone from this Instagram app. Right. I can get it shipped to my home and I can at least try it for 30 days to see if it works versus having to uh, take time out. I mean, you you and I both live in New York and in Brooklyn. So trying to get a train into Manhattan to see a specialist and wait for an hour so that you can be seen for 15 minutes and then shuttled out the door. And I mean, then people who don't have insurance, people who work hourly wage jobs or take five buses to get somewhere. Like this, the goop juice sludge morning shot seems like a, a better option to Absolutely. try. It's delivered. Um, It's a one-time payment. It's not a surprise bill in the mail. You don't have to worry about trying to explain yourself to a doctor. And the also big thing that happens with a particularly a company like Goop is 
Goop knows that in doctor's offices, women, cis women, and, um, you know, queer folk, we do not feel safe. So in particular, in Goop's case, it's going to market towards women because that they know that that's our experience within the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. So rather than us having to go to the doctor, and as a queer person, trying to go to the doctor is very difficult, and trying to explain what I need is very difficult. Instead, companies are just going to say, well, you don't have to do that anymore. This can solve your problems, and you don't have to try to get believed. We believe you. Sure. We believe you because we know you've gone through something. Sure. Drink the goop sludge. (laughs) It's going to make you feel so much better immediately. And also you'll love the packaging. Always with the packaging. Oh my God. And the packaging, (laughs) like I. Successive. (laughs) (laughs) We're marketers, right? Like I'm a weirdo that like will literally count the steps that it takes for me to go from awareness to conversion. And I still, I ordered, I'll pray to it. Oh my God. hundred percent. I ordered. I'm like, I'm not going to share the brand name because I don't want to throw it under the bus, but it was this like, I, it's will. like seaweed <laughs> or, or algae yeah, or something. Yeah. It was like these seaweed algae chews. And it was right. like supposed to, like, I read all this research because right. they've got all, because they've got research papers yes. now for a lot of these, right? So I'm reading all through, all through all this research and and I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I could do like a seaweed chew a day. I I like seaweed, right? Like <laughs> I like it when I go, when I go to sushi I restaurants, seaweed. I'll do seaweed yeah, salad, right? right? Salads are uh, the packaged Nori? seaweed, oh, right. Yeah. Sometimes the the odor is a little bit too much for me. And then mm-hmm. I, I, it, oh, see, I love that. Yeah. I've, don't worry. I got a box if you want them. I'll uh, take it. Because <laughs> there are these seaweed chews and it's like one a day, right? The package they came in was beautiful. Is gorgeous. Like yeah. I want to, I want to dump the seaweed shoes <laughs> and keep the package. Yeah, yeah. Because like it, it should feel special. Beautiful. It should feel like production. It should feel like how you want to feel. Sure, healthy. Unless you're taught to read all the ingredients, you could easily buy something because it's pretty. And you're talking about a prenatal vitamin, right? Yeah. If you're not trying to get pregnant the old fashioned way, as my mom would say, and like trying to go through IUI and IVF, your prenatal is vital. Sure. It, it matters more. And that's what's interesting about these companies, right? Is packaging can really get you. And then you're sitting there and you're wondering, wait, what's in it again? Right. You know, um, is it the right thing? Right. You know? Right. Well, it's, it's interesting because like, <laughs> We've even, you know, at, with with some similar like health condition crossovers, have yeah. talked about like, hey, does that bloating thing work? Oh, like, totally. did you try it? Like, yeah, because it it looks like it could work. And like, I love the, the gummies. Gummies. Oh yeah, yeah, the gummies they taste that good. We, they do taste good. They yeah. tasted delicious. I look forward to taking them every yeah. day. Yeah, or like I I did ritual for a while. The vitamins specifically for women, they're yeah. gorgeous. They're they're minty. I know. Like I put prenatals on my shell absolutely yeah, I, 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 the, I found a product that worked for me like <laughs> unbloat they had the beautiful glass jars oh, and everything yeah they just recently switched away from the glass jars and I felt a 
little put out as a consumer because I'm like, but I'm paying the same amount and I'm not getting the glass jar, but the glass jar is beautiful. So now I just like dump them into the glass jar and keep it because I'm, you know, whatever. Well, it's about aesthetics. Right. right? And sustainability, right? First and foremost. (laughs) Aesthetics. (laughs) And so like, you know, you you see these types of things that that you've got influencers, of course, that don't help matters. Right. And the, the lack of regulation around the advertising with some of these, which is a, a whole ass episode all together in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gwyneth Paltrow's femininity is goo. The brilliance in what she's done, and also something that's a little bit frightening in what she's done, is that she's fused femininity and womanhood so deeply into goop that if you do apply criticism to goop and its products, you are suddenly against womanhood and her femininity and these products for women, these products for women that are helping us and fixing our inaccess and providing us relief, right? Even though a lot of them may or may not work. This idea of creating an untouchable brand just by gendering it is pretty fascinating to me. Yeah. Because whatever bad press Goop gets, it has basically a defense system built in now. Sure. I've literally never been on that website. I have several times. I've never been on that website. But to know that even though it's a brand that I've, I've literally never even looked at, to know that that brand was kind of I guess to keep up with the theme, the mother of it, you know modern wellness aesthetic. The Earth Mother in particular. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yes. And modern wellness aesthetic. <laughs> yes. And branding. Yes. And all Gwyneth Paltrow was was taking a lot of functional medicine basics, her understanding of Eastern medicine, and appropriating that into that brand and and introducing it as if it was the first time anyone had ever encountered these things, which we both know is not true. Obviously, Eastern medicine practices have existed for centuries. And so it was just because she had access to those things as a wealthy white person. Sure. And thought, oh, I'm going to create a company for other wealthy white people and, sure. and make myself the founder, the mother of all these, all these like basically centuries old medicinal treatments and practices, you know, along with a lot of beauty products. I mean, we know, too, that when these sorts of practices, whether it's the 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 white woman influencers uh, making head wraps and turbans and, and thinking or sound, sound, baths. sound yes. Baths, yes. thinking that they are creating something for the first time or, or at least purporting to mm-hmm. the white women peddling, you know, gua sha and, and yes. jade rollers and whatnot. And, and, you know, we're two white people sitting yes. here having this conversation. Yeah. When we whitewash these products, I think a, a few things happen, right? Mm-hmm. You've got, well, one, people like Gwyneth Paltrow are essentially stealing money from practitioners who are, uh, you know, from these areas that that practice Eastern medicine yes. and yes. and are even more familiar with it. It's inside their, you know, their their entire family history or their yes. cultural history. So you're taking money from them while also distancing yourself yes. from the culture enough because now it's been whitewashed, which means that there is no need to understand that Asians are humans, right? Yeah. That you you are you don't bridge any kind of a gap that's no, there. No, you don't bridge a gap that's there. That's for sure. 
I, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think it's definitely essentially lifting something and reinventing it in one's image. Right. Um, and that's what Gwen Paltrow and, and a lot of other people within wellness space have done. You know, and it's not to say like that you shouldn't recommend getting acupuncture for migraine sure. to a friend or, um, you know, seeking out uh, Eastern medicine practices or functional medicine practices. It's to say like, consider your sources and consider what you're learning and, and consider what you're doing when you do partake in those things uh, in the way that you do. And I think too, and this has kind of been a common theme in our episodes, uh, maybe something that I need to revisit at some point, is that you've got somebody like, you know, this brand like Goop that is peddling things that, you know, may have substantiated right. claims like, you know, these Eastern medicine practices that she had access to and now repackaged and whitewashed. Yes, yes. And she's selling them alongside things that are unsubstantiated right and so you have a kernel yeah. of truth in there and, and that completed. kernel of truth right. gets you know extrapolated into this whole written gospel when you're selling truth alongside yes. legend yes and you're how selling can you tell the help, difference right? right like how can you tell the difference i i think that's a fantastic point i think it hits basically what i would say about it but I, I did have a thought as you were speaking in regards to that. It also kind of degrades Eastern medicine practices, right? From people who sure. overthrow, um, sure. you know, or, or push back against Goop, I should say, not overthrow. I wish we could overthrow <laughs> When people push back on Goop and talk about its products as illegitimate, you know, there are some probably practices, products, things that she recommends, like meditation daily that's actually probably pretty good for you, yeah. right? Um, Demonstrably. I mean, evidence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, fermented foods, fantastic. Things sure. like that, where the, there are these recommendations that are, are good recommendations and good functional medicine practices that sort of get lost amongst all the snake oil um, sure. and the coverage about snake oil. So she's, sure. she's kind of conflating these two things together when they are not the same thing. Right. And you create this kind of binary that yes. either the people who buy into it or see the impact right. from the truth that then take the entire gospel versus people who are like, well, this one thing is right. false. It's very juxtaposed, like juxtaposed Western medicine or functional medicine. Right. Nothing can ever be blended. You right. should not. You should probably not, you know, meditate or do yoga or, or, or exercise. Right. Like, just go to a doctor. Just go right. to a doctor, right? Right. Um, get a pill. Like either or. When reality, both these things can can exist and be true and be good for you. Yeah. You know. Anyway. I, and I remember too. You know, like in my mid twenties, I was doing Bragg's apple cider vinegar shots oh, yeah. every morning. I tried to do it once for indigestion. Worst that's Oh yeah, no, my life. no, yeah. Uh, Turns out you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> you should. <laughs> and they're like, it's cure all. And and then you know, I was doing like the oil pulling and yeah. shit like that. Yeah. Which uh, read a really interesting article from um, a dentist who was like. Yeah, oil pulling does work, but not for the reasons you think it does. Totally. It's because if you were to take instead of instead of swishing around coconut oil or or sesame oil in your mouth for 5 minutes, if you were to do the exact same thing with fluoride, you would get the exact same result. The oh my point gosh. is the length of time that you're moving this liquid around to clear out the bacteria in your mouth 
And because oral hygiene is kind of like the root of like Wait, oil pulling is just swishing oil in your mouth. I thought it was yes. your skin. No, no, that sounds terrible. It's like drinking olive oil every day. So the coconut oil, as some of you did it, like in the shower and stuff, and because you're supposed to do it for like five minutes, uh, the coconut oil is not that bad. Although when you're done, like I would do it in the shower, like you can't like spit it down the drain because it's like oil, it'll re-solidify, yeah, right? Like, oil yeah, exactly. It's disgusting. But um, they, they fed- tell you. I don't feel disgusting. I know. I know. You are not disgusting. Yeah. Um, but they tell you to do it with like sesame oil or there's another one that you're supposed to do it with. It's like, whoa. I'm drinking Dude. olive oil. Like doing a tablespoon of olive oil every day to get a healthy and, fat. And so you're yeah. not, with oil pulling, you're not supposed to swallow it because this idea is that it's got all the toxins. <laughs> swallow it. And then, swallow it. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sexy things. Um, so like, You've got you've got this sort of oil pulling thing where again this kernel of truth, right? It does work, but not because there's some kind of magic or removing toxins. It's literally motion. It's it's the act yeah. of it of cleaning your mouth, huh? Like brushing your teeth and flossing, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, going back to apple uh, apple cider vinegar, Paul Bragg he started uh, Bragg's apple cider vinegar uh, with the mother, and uh, <laughs> I, I was listening to the maintenance phase podcast about him, and it talked about that, like first of all, this motherfucker was born in the late eighteen hundreds. Okay, like yeah, he had tuberculosis as a teenager. That's the yeah. indicator that like, you like, the late eighteen hundreds. Knock on wood, hope so. Yeah, um, but he went to see some. Swiss doctor or whatever and by like 1899 he was supposedly like healed of his tuberculosis Mm. and it was all this like diet exercise plan that he was on and blah 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 whatever uh and then he meets some dude named bernard mcfadden and i only remember that because in the podcast they talked about how bernard was formerly bernard mcfadden Uh but he changed his name bernard he took off the d and put another r in there because he thought it sounded like a lion roaring bernard (laughs) 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 so uh i don't know they they like met up and like were bouncing a lot of ideas off of each other and then paul bragg created supposedly the world's first like health food store and that's when we start to see the term processed foods as early as 1899 and so thinking about like laying the foundation for this what i found really interesting about what he was doing is is a little bit similar to what you were talking about with goop and and it's really the logical fallacy of survivorship bias mm, it worked yeah. for me and so i survived so therefore it must work for everybody yes like joseph pilates right yes and yeah. if it doesn't work for you mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong yes. you're not committed right you didn't do it long mm-hmm. enough you're rejecting something mm-hmm. uh which is really cultish terrible right yeah Yeah, absolutely it's the language of cults well and and you have to think like you're in the mindset to fall prey to that right you've been pushed out by the healthcare system right you feel disbelieved you have to do the guesswork and figure out what's going to work for you you are taking care of yourself like you are empowered by this quest and you're also in pain yeah and so this is a lot of vulnerability. You're both weak and yet you're persevering. And so when someone promises you an answer and that answer isn't right, or that solution isn't working, or that treatment isn't making you feel any better, 
well, you guessed wrong or, or hear me out, this personality, it worked for them. I'm doing it wrong. Right. I'm doing it wrong. Right. You know, because this process is about figuring out how to do this right for me, for myself. Right. It's the perfect prey to that cold like mentality. So I, I want to talk about sort of uh, the I think the 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 piece that you have special mm. experience with special experience, special experience more like uh, marketing experience yes. specifically yes. is the answer to these wellness companies yes. which has been we've seen this sort of re, uh, not resurgence but this this surgeons is yes. that a word I don't know like yeah. of telehealth yeah like we started to see it happening like digital healthcare and apps and things like that we started. Mm seeing it before the pandemic I feel like it accelerated during the pandemic out of necessity and now it's like I can't I can't scroll Instagram for 15 minutes without running into like three or four of these ads but they're Mm -hmm. also trying to they seem like they're trying to distance themselves from this sort of wellness right while pulling the best parts of its marketing strategy tell me more about that so I think I think what's interesting about telehealth right now is kind of what you said, where the space is, is very, very cluttered. You have your leaders, like one medical who just got acquired by Amazon, I think like six, seven months ago, right? Um, and you have a lot of these startups that are designing almost like companies that would be great features or add-ons yeah. to a larger company. Sure. And it's a very cluttered sphere. So each of these companies is trying to look for their, like their own particular identity, right? If you have so many companies specializing in providing care for depression or uh, digital therapy. Each one of them needs their own identity because that's really the only thing separating them because their business models are terribly similar. I had a lot of experience within the telehealth community. I uh, I worked at a telehealth that I thought did had an incredibly unique model, which was fantastic. One that kind of bridged the gap between functional medicine and Western medicine in a really great way, a continuous way. But you watch a lot of these other companies and and how they're designed is to essentially give someone this immediate relief, as you would seek with a wellness company, sure. Um, while providing the credibility of being doctor-led, sure. right? And so they want the similar marketing to wellness in the sense where like, you're empowered, you're doing you, you, um, you know, you're finding relief. Yeah. You'll get care instantly because it's digital. Right. Right. But the credibility of being doctor led, which they are doctor led usually. And that's fantastic. You are going to be working with a real doctor, but the term working is a little bit over-exaggerated, right? Sure. A doctor can prescribe you things as to whether you'll have exposure to a doctor is very different. So because the business model is so similar across the board, they're all looking for their own like individual like experience identity and and what this has led to is is a very gendered space right because sure. their target audience is this audience that doesn't have time for the doctor that has bad experiences with the doctor that is afraid of the doctor uh, that has been fighting disbelief right and a lot of these telehealth model operations are designed for specific things like chronic care or, um, you know, mental health, in particular, gut health, right? And if they can give you access to health care that you don't want to seek out in person, but expedite that process and make it less painful, that's their main goal. But you have to consider their target audience then. Yeah. It's 
not cis, it's not white, you know, and that means that's the person you're marketing to. And that makes your marketing very niche and very particular and usually very gendered. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that I can, I can definitely see the, the pros in having some kind of like telehealth. Like I think about the fact that, you know, once I started seeing telehealth, a common, uh, a common symptom for one of my chronic illnesses is UTIs. Right. If I had to schedule a doctor's appointment every damn time, you know, so that, that kind of a thing is nice for me to have that sort of access to, right? Like to get a pill for a UTI instantaneously would be amazing. Or I mean, I, I tried to schedule an appointment with my primary care doctor just as a a checkup. And uh, my husband and I both see the same primary care doctor. We can't see her for four months. Yeah. A primary care doctor. Yeah. And so like, then you're forced to go and see somebody that you don't know that you don't have a relationship with. So if you're going to do that, why not not do it online? Right. right? And have it be more convenient. But at the same time, you don't have a relationship with those people. And that seems like even if some hospitals don't really place an emphasis on it or some, you know, healthcare spaces don't really place an emphasis on it. It is kind of important for uh, yeah. a provider to know who you are and about your history. Well, and we we talked about this particular too. A hospital is a hospital and a company is a company. Yes. Which means that a lot of these digital healthcare companies are not held to the same standards of doc, uh, doctors, hospitals or, or hospital administration, excuse me, and data collection and your privacy, but also like they're vulnerable to everything a company is vulnerable to. Sure. Layoffs, the economy, like that, that doctor's office, the digital one for the company you're going to could be gone. Sure. In a week. It could dissolve, right? Could go broke. So even if you do try to establish a relationship with a provider, it's usually a more insecure relationship. Sure. Because, you know, companies go through economic turmoil, face layoffs, people get fired. Right. And it's uh, kind of change positions, you know? Right. Uh, they remodel their entire business, right? And suddenly you no right. longer have a nurse practitioner. You have something called, you know, a care coordinator, right? right? So it's just, it's different, right? And it doesn't mean that all these companies are doing this badly. I mean, One Medical, I love One Medical. The company I was at, I thought we were doing very particularly well with our patients. We're very patient first. And it just means that you have to take a certain amount of risk, when you interact right. with these companies that you might not at a hospital. Then again, hospitals have their own risks. Sure, of right? course. You know, and I think when you consider the the saturation point too, yes. because they're everywhere now, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and I, I think it's striking, you know, to talk about it like it is a business because those of us who are patients of this business don't feel like it's a business, right? This is right. healthcare. Yes. This is what we're there yeah. to to take care of our bodies and our, our brains yes. and our, our beings. But, you know, I uh, have a, a friend who is dealing with right now being bounced around from therapist to therapist from uh, one of the online therapy providers right. because they're going through layoffs. And yeah. so, and is there, like, I can't think of many doctors that I would not want to be bounced from one to the next, right. but a therapist, 
especially yeah. Yeah. like totally uh, here's what i don't want to unpack is my trauma yeah. every three weeks to a new person oh yeah right yeah. and and try to feel vulnerable and trust this there's people. only so much a file or your log data can tell this next doctor sure too, right everything feels like a little bit of a catch-up that's sure. for sure and what, what's really interesting is, is due to the fact that these companies are very, very um, competitive and it's a very crowded sphere, you see five, four, six of these ads every day, each one has to be unique. And they feel that way by segmenting their audiences. Yeah, um, more about this. Yeah. So I think something that happens that's really unique within the telehealth space is you have these sort of larger telehealth companies, like the OG ones, like One Medical, and you do feel like, oh, this is pretty generic, wide marketing. They seem to be doing it pretty right. But then you have these hyper-specialized companies that feel like they're really targeting particular groups based off of their particular struggles with the doctors. Uh, we talked about this, him and hers, right? Very exclusionary just by name alone, but they are targeting particular issues sure. that people who, you know, might face the doctor if they're male or female in their words. So if you are a woman at the doctor's office, they would say, well, like maybe you're having trouble discussing your ADHD, which we know is commonly misdiagnosed or not diagnosed within, uh, you know, cis women uh, so, uh, and women in general. So it's it's something that they would struggle with. So that company has built its model on serving those particular groups. Similarly, HIMSS has built its model on serving men who struggle with EDs and hair loss, as we say. And primarily, most of those ads are built around those things. However, they, they all give out very similar medications for mental health, but different medications depending on what sex you were assigned at birth or what you're more likely to go to the doctor about. So, yeah. And you've, you've talked to me about, and ever since we talked about this the first time, like months ago, I have noticed when I see these commercials for hims and hers, especially streaming commercials, yes. because like as a, a cis woman... I have a, I mean, I have a tendency to receive the hers ads, right? Yeah. So if I never see the other side of it, yeah. then I don't necessarily realize that I'm being pandered to right. or, or you being, are it, right. Based on your gender alone, you're being it's, pandered to. It's to me, it's just pink, right? Like yeah. they, they make everything pink and, and fun and bubblegum. And these and, real questions about things that impact you. And um, the commercials are, are, yeah. are modern and aesthetically pleasing and mm -hmm. they are uh they're fun music they they feel like they get you you know they but do. then I see the hymns ones and you had sent these in advance where it's like hymns is being presented with a man in a lab coat in a yes. medical and coat he's talking directly at the camera absolutely and he's talking about you know science-backed medicine yes. and here with medical doctors for erectile dysfunction yes. for hair loss all and these then, things you're insecure about they have right. a reason right and they have a solution absolutely it's yes. not it's not your fault blah blah, blah. yeah and then for hers it was you know you never want to get out of bed it was anxiety it was mm -hmm. you know we've tried breathing through you we've called tried, your mom right you called yeah. your friend's mom you know yeah you, yeah you tried breathing through you tried you know walking through and you tried all these functional medicine right right, right. So targeting that specific audience it's already yeah. done all the guesswork right but and I wonder who was foundational to associating functional medicine with women. Sure, yeah, right, right. With, with femininity. Yeah, I wonder if it all comes back. That. Anyway, about like how many men do I know who struggle with anxiety? Mm. 
why is anxiety a gendered and why are all their ads about erectile dysfunction i mean you might say oh well you know that's primarily what men go to hymns for is erectile dysfunction but i was like have you ever advertised anything else because i certainly haven't seen it sure right like have you ever tried right any other ad and I, I remember. Or is that Hims, what you're getting your most money off of? So that's why you're leaning into that, you know? I remember when Hams first came out, there was an ad that they did that was like a patient and a doctor, and the doctor was actually his dad. Oh. I don't know if you ever oh, saw no, this I one. It was it was about ED specifically. Yeah. And it was it was it was all centered around how we don't need to be embarrassed about these things. Mm. This is an embarrassing thing. It's these are yeah. difficult conversations to have, but don't worry. You know, that's why we have this hymns, like it can get you covered because it's, it's medication by mail, isn't right. it? Yes, it is. So hymns and hers is medication by mail. You can get these medications within 24 hours. You would take the general intake form that you sure. would take at your doctor. If you've ever gotten a depression medication, anxiety medication, you, you usually have to take the same intake form. So if you take it, it might look familiar to you, like what you would actually take. Sure. Going to an in-person doctor. And then they have a doctor look at your answers and prescribe it to you and communicate with text. You've been prescribed. You can pick it up and you can go to your pharmacy and pick it up. You don't ever see the doctor face to face. There are no virtual visits. You don't get to explain any context, really. You have some notes boxes where you can talk about how much detail you want to put into your answers or not. You know, they make it very clear they don't treat things like bipolar or bulimia or an eating disorder, but they shouldn't give you the Zoloft. You know, and they have these stats that are kind of littered through, like 75 percent of patients follow up their doctor to say that this medication really helped. What about the 25 percent? Is my question. And B, they're the ones following up, so you do a lot of the legwork when it comes to communication. So they yeah. they prescribe you, let's say Zoloft. Yeah. And they don't follow up about it. The company doesn't. You, it's incumbent on you to follow up with your doctor. Your doctor might text you, but usually you follow up with them. Yeah. Considering like how, I mean, I, I, I have anxiety. I right. I'm on benzos. Right. I'm sure that they don't prescribe those. Uh, Cause I can't even get them from my regular doctor who knows that I've been taking them for right. 20 years. Yeah. But like a Zoloft even, I mean, like for a lot of these antidepressants, they can change your brain chemistry yes, in can. ways that are actually not helpful and potentially harmful. Yes. Yeah. And you know, if someone out there has a really positive experience sure. with one of these text-based telehealth, please let us know. I think that, you know, text space can be a little tricky, but if it's pulled off well, it's pulled off well. It's just a matter of like, you know, I'm not on that. I don't know what level of communication they have. I do know filling out a form and not getting to talk to someone about what you're going through before you're prescribed and then you can just take it. Sure. That's a little bit like to me, like you're not doing the proper legwork up front. Sure. Um, a really good example is there are, you know, somewhat like mixed studies on the connection between Wellbutrin and pregnancy, whether or not sure. it causes miscarriage, right? Sure. You know, on that form, it will ask you if you're trying to get pregnant, but some doctors don't believe in that connection and some doctors do. So it's a bit of a crapshoot, right? Right. So that's just something to consider, right? Like, 
you know, if you had heard about Wellbutrin and you were nervous about it, you might not get a chance to be able to voice that to your doctor. Sure. Right? Sure. So you as an informed person might not get an opportunity to tell them uh, that you don't want to be prescribed Wellbutrin, then you probably have to start the whole thing all over again. Right. So. So tell me about like with the gendered marketing yeah. in particular, you know, obviously I can see this being uniquely exclusionary to non-binary or Incredibly. trans people. Incredibly. Right. I can see it being something that is dismissive of lots of experiences and genders experiences yeah. and doesn't provide access to, well, I mean, first of all, by not including anxiety in a hymns commercial, you're pretty much just continuing to feed into the idea that like men aren't embarrassed to talk right. about their mental health. But they're embarrassed to talk about erectile dysfunction. Right. Right. But like, okay, it seems like maybe some of these companies are really only interested in what we talked about as the ideal patient, mm -hmm. right? Cisgender. Right easy health issues to very quickly solve. And so why does the gendered marketing matter? Like, doesn't it fill some kind of need? I would argue it probably does more harm than good, right? Okay. Um, so for example, hers comes out of probably the fact that women are not believed when they go to the doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And they're historically underdiagnosed with major mental health issues. Um, and, you know, and that's, that can be very difficult, right? Um, and major health issues in general. And so hers emerges as like someone who's going to listen to you, someone who's going to talk to you, like someone that you can have consistency with. Like their their brand persona is supportive and engaged and an active listener. Like if you listen to their commercials or watch their commercials, it's very much so like you've been on your own. You're looking for answers. You've done everything you can. You've been searching this is the solution, right? Like you shouldn't have to be left by yourself. I mean, even when they got Kristen Bell as their spokesperson, those more recent commercials are literally her having conversations with herself, right? like her different sides of anxiety, right? right? And like, how do you handle it? You know, which is, you know, that is a real narrative. That's the thing. That's not to disregard the narrative of this person going through this journey and dealing with this in access, but it's the only narrative we're seeing right? And it's incredibly gendered experience. And when you reiterate that over and over, you're actually sort of preying on those people, mm -hmm. right? Because they're a company and they want money, <laughs> right. you know? And so they're kind of preying on those people. They don't need an access to fit fixed. They, they're benefiting off of it, even if they think they're fixing an access, right. which is very cynical to say, but that's kind of what gendered marketing communicates. It also makes things more divisive in general. So a perfect example of this is like this fantastic company called Folks. It's an LBGTQIA plus healthcare company that is telehealth focused and like really focused on serving that group because sure. we face a lot of discrimination in the doctor's office has just gotten $25 million within like startup money, right? That's their, I think it's their round A funding. That's fantastic, right? Sure. But when you have things like him, hers, folks, it's all segmented out, right? Right. It's all neatly in a box. Folks emerged as a need based on the kinds of marketing and the kinds of communities and the kinds of companies him and hers has created. Sure. Right? Like, it's important to have things like folks now because gendered marketing just keeps persisting, right? And it, it right. creates an exclusionary narrative. You're not helping people, a large swath of people who actually also experience inaccess when you gender your marketing this way. Sure. Well, and I think, you know, to to what you're saying there, if, if and I, I believe you said this earlier, 
if the point of telehealth is to solve an access problem, then why would you be exclusionary in, in your mark in your marketing? Yeah. Um, you know, and and I think um, something that I've I've mentioned before is uh, I you know I was at South by Southwest a couple of years ago uh, and listened to a panel on inclusion in marketing and advertising, and a trans woman on the panel said like, look, it doesn't matter if you are inclusive out of morality or the goodness of your heart or because it's what you should do, even if you disagree with yeah. inclusivity and in marketing, the bottom line is that your revenue will hurt if you don't 100%. include people because you're 100%. excluding people who ultimately have money. Like, I mean, who has the least amount of access to healthcare in this country? It's trans women of color. Right. Statistically, that, that they have the most in access, yeah. right? And, you know, you could argue like buying power or whatever, but at some point, doesn't morality come into play when you're founding sure. healthcare companies as well? Right. Like designed to literally solve the problem of our designed healthcare access. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I just, I don't understand as a marketer how you could feel morally comfortable with that as well. Besides the bottom line discussion. I am wondering though, did they record that panel? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was like yeah. 2019, no, 2018. Probably not then. Uh, one thing that you and I had talked about too is the idea of the fact that like these telehealth companies are ultimately, uh, you know, like you said, they're, they're companies and, right. and technology companies uh, are designed to be disruptive, right? right? So it's not even that the gendered marketing is like, who somebody feels left out, you know, for the more cynical, like response to something like that. Right, right. It's that, you know, when we, this is something that you had said earlier yeah. when we were prepping for this is that it, it changes. I mean, it, we start to see the impacts of the technology reflected in the healthcare industry. Yeah. Because when you're a technology company or you're trying to disrupt an industry, we've seen the yes. impacts of this. Yes. The way that Uber and Lyft have transformed, you know, the transport yes. industry, that now there's an expectation of immediacy, of online availability, of mm -hmm. being able to pay in an app, never having to talk to your driver, yeah. even when you're in the car with them. It's that double-edged sort of capitalism, right. right? Where the expectations are raised when you set the expectation, like Absolutely. you set the standard and then all the expectations of your consumer are immediately changed, right? And so I'm curious about how, like, if you can expand on how you feel like then this, this impacts already existing biases or reinforces mm -hmm. existing biases in healthcare, or even how we talk about our own healthcare yeah. when it's gendered like that. I mean, we are going to start equating our health with gender. I mean, we already do, right? Um, so much of pregnancy and giving birth, I'm realizing, is, is attached to one's womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you navigate that process when you don't identify as a woman like I do, right? So it's 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 very difficult because that's the way we treat our health. We treat it as so inherently gendered. Parts of health have to do with your body and the differences in bodily functions. And so when we assign our bodily functions gender, we create such a deep a personal attachment to it. And we basically wrap our whole identity around our health and how good our body functions. Yeah. And you start to feel as a failure at your gender when your body starts letting you down. 
it impacts your sense of self, I think, in a big way. And so that's the impact on the consumer. And I think it's a very lasting impact if you think about that mentality point. I think, I mean, that's not even, what you're saying isn't even in the future of gendered marketing. It is. How many, like, women feel like failures at womanhood when they if, can't get pregnant they can't get pregnant yeah or they have difficulties with infertility right or, or even on the other on the other end how many men feel like a failure if they can't get someone pregnant for lack of right. a better word i can't right. think of it that way but like you know this idea this wrap-up of donor sperm is something that i'm realizing is a big world and, and a sure. major hang-up for for people you know in that situation and that's because you've instilled so much gender into your bodily functions because we are taught that our bodies are inherently gendered and when our bodies fail us we are failing at gender sure and companies like that when you market it this way you're not just like dealing with anxiety you're dealing with being a woman in the modern world, sure, right? Sure. And so if you're failing at, at treating your anxiety, which is not a great way to phrase that, right? If if you feel anxious, it's because you're a woman in the sure. modern world, right? Sure. And that gets reinforced, that gets reinforced. So much so that like, why doesn't Hims have any commercials about anxiety? I right. wonder why, right? And and that excludes a lot of people from having having the health reaction, a reaction to their own health that they need to have, right? So if men feel anxious, they don't talk about it that much. Like if cis men feel anxious, they don't talk about it that much because it's not marketed that they should, you and know? And it's a slight on their masculinity. Exactly. If, uh, you know, if cis women, uh, you know, uh, feel more pain at the OBGYN, they don't talk about it that much because right. it's something wrong with their body and it's something right. wrong with their gender. Shit. And mean, other cis women don't experience the same thing, you know? You know, even the concept of like PCOS, which is also something that really prevents a lot of, uh, you know, AFAB folks from being able to get pregnant anyway, mm-hmm. body hair. Yeah. As women, we're told, you know, we, we shouldn't have body hair. And oh, yeah. so when you start having it in places that are totally unexpected on yeah. your face, like yeah. for instance, I mean, it is like supposed to be this assault on your feminine, right? You're doing womaning wrong. Well, and you think too, if, if the body is so gendered, then the space becomes gendered, sure. right? So the OBGYN is no longer a place that's safe for everyone with vaginas. It's, not even a place that's really safe for, you know, people who identify as cis. Yeah. So how can you expect it to be safe for someone with a vagina, right? I, I think that that's not to say that, like, I don't, I don't know that anybody would argue that, like, bodies are different, but it doesn't always fall along these sex fault lines, no, right? No, like, not at all. Like, I know that, you know, I would love for more research to be done about uh, heart disease and how it affects AFAB people because, like, heart attacks look different in AFAB mm-hmm. people than mm-hmm. they do in AMAB people. Yeah. And so that's something that's, like, super important to be aware of so that right. your doctor believes you yeah. when you go in and you're, you're complaining of something that doesn't look consistent with what we've seen on TV is what a heart attack looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. So that those things are important, but also 
not everything, most things I would say are not very neatly separated by fault lines there. And when we only do research on one sex. Right. And then try to gender everything out from there. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, it can be very difficult because it creates more like binary spaces. Mm. And people who are AFAB and A uh, map will struggle. Sure. You know. So tell me Even in um, boxes. Yeah. You know. Tell me, you know, what's the what's the so what? What's the now what? You know, we've talked about uh, why this is important, why this this impacts us in a negative yeah, way. Yeah. So what should people take away from this? You know, we talk about action items. What right. are the action items that, that our listeners should take? Yeah, I, I think I have action items for consumers and I also have action items for marketers. Sure. I think for consumers, we've talked a lot about having personal responsibility and what you're consuming. And I, I think that's a little hard to like, put on a consumer just in general. So I think as a consumer, I think as long as you can inspect gender and think about that in a way that's critical, you can, you know, consider your options and maybe open your mind to different products and and different ideas. That's all. Sure. We're not going to stop you from buying anything that's going to make you feel better or, you know, by like trying to find your own resources. We're all just trying to to survive. But right? I think, you know, with the consumers too, being in a position where like, if you're not getting advertised to for a thing that you're feeling because like consider yeah. that it might be gendered, that it's not yeah. you. Yeah. It's nothing Absolutely. wrong with you. Consider it's... that all of this is is fairly gendered and that healthcare is is not always a super inclusive space. No. Um right. so if you're feeling something, you know, it's it's not necessarily that other people like you don't feel the same way. Sure. Or experience the same things. That being said as a marketer, I think we discussed the fact that like if you are doing marketing that is deeply gendered or you're using gender as a demographic indicator in your marketing, we would just encourage you to expand your audience and think of not only the benefits of expanding that audience for the bottom line, but also consider like what stands to change as a society and your impact if you do expand your audience. Sure. You know? Yeah. There's always, I, I mean, the question about why, like yeah. if, if we're, if we're limiting something to a gender or even an age right. group, right. Why? Why? You know, why? Yeah. Like, I think getting curious, that is something that overall, I wish that that we did more and more often yes. uh, as yeah. marketers, because like, again, I feel like the the sort of like through line for a lot of these episodes is not that there is only one right way to do things, that there's a kernel of truth and a yeah. lot of these things Absolutely. that we can acknowledge and we can recognize and we can say, yes, that's true. But cognitive mm. dissonance, and I mentioned this in another episode, cognitive dissonance is kind of being shit all over right now that like we're not allowed to hold two truths in our head, but like that's there uh, in world's my, a little black and white. Right, right. Yeah. And so maybe it's possible for Gwyneth Paltrow to sell something that works and also for it to be something that we give ourselves pause thinking right. about. Yes. It's possible to engage critically with some of these yeah, things absolutely. and to engage critically with our own marketing strategies 
when we are gendering things. Yeah. I've told you about a, an organization that I worked for, a very large one, that uh, a consultant came in and said that we should be marketing technology things just to men. And this was yeah. not that long ago. And so when you're gendering things, ask yourselves why. And if you're involved in a stereotype, particularly unnecessarily. care, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Suffering, right? Yeah. And who are you leaving outside your audience, yeah. right? Who might be suffering with something. If you're trying to save people, then like do that. Thing, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, like experiment. So you lose a few dollars. Right. Maybe you reach someone that needed your help. Right. You're in healthcare. Right. You have a moral obligation, I think, at that point. Oh, I, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I think uh, the other piece about this, and we've had a long, you know, back and forth on, you know, considering gender. And uh, I've mentioned to you that I think Mm. that something that uh, makes people a little prickly is, you know, hearing some of these conversations that feel like they're really uh, progressive format or they're kind of outside the box thinking. And it Mm. can feel elitist. Yeah. Because when we, don't acknowledge that we all had to start mm-hmm. somewhere and right, learn right. to get yes. here. Like that, like, you know, let's be real. Yeah. I didn't know that they, them could be used as a pronoun. What? Like seven years ago, I was brand right. new to the concept, just, you know? It's okay. Not everyone likes Shakespeare. And <laughs> <laughs> like that we, we, you know, we're learning, we're learning right. in public. Yeah. And, um, and so in that spirit, you know, we like to ask our guests to, to share uh, a pretty human mistake that they've made, uh, especially in the workplace. You know, um, I think human mistakes happen all the time. I think, you know, even now as I'm sitting here, I'm like, what, what words did I use as we were talking here? Sure. Like, were they right words? I guarantee you some of them were probably not, you know, sure. but I think for me in the workplace, I think something that's constantly on my mind is uh, a non-binary person in this workplace is, you know, this work, I guess, environment uh, that we've created is that um, we assume everyone's gender pretty consistently, right? I don't know too many people who actually have this ideal workplace where everyone introduces themselves with the pronouns that they want, right? Um, Certainly, you know, not anything I've encountered. Um, and we walk up to people and we consistently assume their gender within the workspace. And, and you know, the workspace is a place that, you know, you don't want to feel unsafe in. It, it definitely is a hit on productivity, but also like it's your inherent right to feel safe. So I think something that I do consistently that I would like to stop is assuming gender of my coworkers sure. before I've had the chance to introduce myself and get to know them. And then also like just in general, I think um, we're so afraid of, of offending anyone that we don't want to do the basics of introducing sure. oneself. I'm always afraid to offer my pronouns first. And I don't know if that's a good thing, but like, it's, I think something that I'm going to work on and that gives someone an opportunity to offer theirs and help solidify their identity. So yeah, that's, that's something that I think is a consistent mistake I make at the workplace coming, coming from a non-binary person. It's something that's on my mind pretty consistently. No, I, I, I'm definitely in that camp as well. I'm, yeah. I'm guilty of it. And I think it's interesting that you say that, you know, we're so offended or we're so afraid of offending people that we don't think about the inclusion piece. It it feels to me like we've been in this culture yeah. of negative reinforcement mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the point where we're so scared of the negative consequences that we forget about the potential right. for the right. positive consequences, which is, I mean, what you said, like, I, I think that 
that's something that is such a big fucking idea in general and can really be applied to the entirety of what we talked about. Right. We're so afraid of the negative impact that we, we don't think about because the negative impact is scary. Right. We're also afraid to like break societal norms. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We're afraid to step outside, you know, what we would consider professional interaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. A normal, a normal, you know, interaction at work is, hi, how are you? My name is, right? Right. Adding the pronouns feels like, oh, that's a step outside. Nobody else is doing that. What am I supposed to do? Right. And so like, we're, we're afraid of doing that. You know, we're afraid of correcting others when our pronouns are messed up, you know, and, and you know, we're also afraid of messing up other people's pronouns. So, yeah. you know, like people are always like, well, why bring it into it? Because I don't want to, I don't have to learn it. I won't have to mess it up. You know, sure. I think we as a society could stand to just be bigger learners. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for yeah. joining me today. And uh, this was such a fantastic thank conversation. You. For those of you who are listening or watching along at home, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this conversation and interacting on these topics as much as we have. And uh, we'll see you next week. Oh, and please, please, please correct us if we did something wrong. (laughs) We are learning in public. We're learning. So thank you. Thanks for tuning into Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting. Our podcast is hosted by Danielle Bilbrook, Kaylee Myers, and Alan Connolly, and produced by Margot Gill. You can always learn more about Broad Digital Consulting on our website, broad.digital. That's B-R-O-A-D dot digital. Or you can find us on social media using the handle at Target Snarket. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And if you're feeling so inclined, we'd love for you to review our pod if you like what you're hearing. 